uh, as I said last week, for, for the sake of the podcast, my name's Tim and I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine Church Hall. So this morning we'll carry on our preaching series on the book of Hebrews. If you uh, missed it last week, we started and we kicked off with Jesus is greater than, and Hebrews 1. And uh, like last week, I, I kicked off with a joke, and I'm going to have to say it again. Uh, I'm going to have to do it. And here it goes. Same joke, I'm sorry, guys. But there was a husband and wife, and they were fighting about who should make the coffee in the morning. The wife says, you wake up before me, so you should do it. The husband always wakes up the first. The husband says, it's part of the cooking, so it's your responsibility. No, the wife says, it's in the Bible that the man makes the coffee. The husband says, prove it. And the wife goes, get gets the Bible out, and sure, sure so, she goes to Hebrews, and there it is, Hebrews. I know it's sad. But this morning, as I said, is that we are looking at the book in the Bible called Hebrews. And last week, we zoomed into verse 3, where it says that Jesus is the exact imprint or representation of God. It's like Jesus looks in the mirror and he sees God himself. And throughout the whole book, but in chapter 1, there was a challenge to make Jesus more superior than anything else. And also to stay faithful towards Jesus. And this morning, I'm going to be uh, doing it from chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Whilst you're trying to find that. Uh, I just want to give us a bit of background to this thing. You know, if you were going to, if you got the DVD ca- case out, and on the back, this is what the book of Hebrews would be if it was a DVD. It's about Jesus is greater. He's greater than angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the so-called biblical celebrities. He's greater than anything this world can offer. Materialism, human relationships. Jesus is even greater than anything this world throws at us. Every life situation, every circumstance, Jesus is greater and that we should exalt him as more supreme. We should look to him. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, we don't entirely sure. We're not entirely sure. Scholars point to Paul or Apollos. No one really knows. But it's pretty much certain that Hebrews was written to a Jewish Christian. So they were, they were Jews and they converted to Christianity. Because he presumes throughout the book that they know the Torah, the first five books. He presumes they know that well. The writer wants to encourage us to focus on the main thing. And that is Jesus and Jesus alone. It's all about Jesus. And this morning, I want to speak upon the subject, Jesus is greater than this world. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gift of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Verse 5. For it's not to angels that God subjected the will to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him little, little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in sub, uh, sub, subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Yet, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom, by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies those who sanctified all who have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, children God has given me. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who are through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that help he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make the propitiation for the sins of the people. Verse 18 and lastly. For because he is himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Right from the beginning of this book, verse 1, this is what the writer is doing. Right from the beginning, he's hitting a hard point. He says this, right in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Another translator says this, we must listen very carefully to the truth. It's like the writer is throwing a right punch and he wants to knock you out from the moment of the minute one. He's saying, you must listen. You must pay close attention. He, he wants to get your attention right away. This is where we are about to have a spiritual MOT. See, if you're anything like me, when it comes to take my car in for its MOT, I'm hoping somehow it will be good news. I think about the brakes, the tires, the exhaust, the lights. So many things to be tested so that I can have a safe car. But the thing is with the MOT, right? I think most of us would want to get rid of the MOT test. 
However, most of us want a safe car or want to buy a roadworthy car. See, we can drive a car for months and we can even drive it to the MOT station and it could be all good. But after the MOT station, we can find out it's dangerous to drive. And life can be like that with Jesus sometimes. We can do life. We could do it for months and even years. And until we give it MOT, we realize that maybe we have drifted. See, so many times in life, we can say to ourselves, we're good. Me and Jesus, we're good. We're okay. Everything's going well at the moment. But the writer here would say to us, be careful, very careful not to drift away. See, this is about our spiritual well-being. See, we look after our bodies. We count how many steps, if you're like me, we count how many steps we take each day. We try and prepare, try, we try and prepare some good food to us to eat. We even go to the gym sometimes. That doesn't include me. But this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 8. For while bodily training is good value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present and the life to come. Paul is saying that there's better value in looking after your spiritual life than your physical body. It's always good to hear, isn't it? I think so anyway. The spiritual MOT today is this. The writer would say, are you drifting or are you staying close to the truth? Because that's what he's saying. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So he's challenging us. You're either paying close attention or you're drifting. See, drifting means this, carried slowly by a current of air or water. A few years ago, and it's probably about 11 years ago actually, uh, I went on a family holiday up to the Lake District. And the Lake District, if you've been there, you know it's an amazing place to go. Great walks, great things to do. If you haven't been there, you should go there and experience it. And uh, it was our, set, our day before we were about to leave. And me and my older brother, Kieran, I was 18 at the time, we decided to go onto a kayak onto Lake Windermere. And if you know Lake Windermere, it's the biggest lake in England. It's also, lakes are colder than seas, by the way. And uh, so we went to this place to hire a kayak, and it was going to be a double kayak. We were going to hire it for one hour. And we get on the kayak, and we go. And we were going, and we were going. And as you can expect, the next thing we know, we were off it, into the water. And as we went off in the water, we don't really know what happened. We got just thrown off it a bit. Uh, as we went into the water, somehow we dropped our oars. And we were, it was, it was actually quite terrifying. We were just gasping for our breath. We were freezing cold. And then we were like, where is our oars? And you could see them going off in the distance. And we were more concerned about getting on back on the kayak. So we just let those go. And uh, so we tried to get back on the kayak. And this, we tried to with a double kayak to get back on. It's quite hard. One of us would get on and the other one would try to get on and push the other one off. So we were trying to get both on at the same time. At this moment in time, we were absolutely freezing and we were shaking. 
So thankfully, we got on to the kayak. And then my brother went to look in his pockets for his camera and his phone, and they were broken because of the water. And so we just sat there. And what we did is we just drifted. We couldn't see land either way because this is the biggest lake in England. We could not see land either way. And we waited and we waited. And we thought to ourselves, we only booked this for an hour. It's gone over an hour. Surely they realize they have not got their kayak back. However, they did not realize, or they didn't care, at least. But we waited and waited, and we were shivering, we were freezing. And it got to the point in time where we decided to pray our last prayer. We literally said, Father God, forgive us of our sins. Because uh, we thought we were a goner. You know, it doesn't sound that bad, but honestly, it was bad. It was bad. And we waited and waited. We saw a little cruise boat go past, and we were waving our arms like anything, come and help us. And it just carried on going past. And we waited and waited and waited. And then finally, the RNLI came to our rescue. God bless those who work for the RNLI. We love them. They came to our rescue, and that cruise boat did send off a, a call for help. And they took us back uh, to their little their place, and uh, we went in the shower for a very long time to warm up. But the thing was, is that while we were in the kayak and we didn't have our oars, we just drifted with the tide. We drifted and we drifted. We didn't know where we were going. See, the writer wants to give us this warning that we should not drift in our faith. And he's speaking to Christians here. He's not speaking to non-Christians because they've got nothing to drift away from. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian family. You've been part of church for many years. It's so easy to take the pressure off. It's so easy to think they do the praying. It's so easy to think they should do that. Those people should do that. That's not me. That's not me. But there's times like today, and when we go to Hebrews, where we should take moments to do a spiritual MOT and see if we're drifting. This is about investing in your soul. This is the best investment you could make in your life. Forget about going to the gym. Forget about putting money on the stock market. Forget about any of that. Looking after your soul and your relationship with God is the biggest thing you can do and the best investment. Are you drifting? Did you hear the story in the Bible where uh, uh, someone, uh, Matthew and a couple of other disciples, they go up to Jesus and he says this, Lord, teach us. I know I've been distracted. There's so many things going on recently. I know I should spend more time with you. I know you went off to the mountainside and I should have come with you to spend time with the Father. I, I know that, uh, you know, I know I should have done this or, or, or done that, but I was with Peter. Peter was the one you called the rock and you're going to build the church on. He's a great guy. I'm with him. Uh, so we're all right, Jesus, aren't we? You haven't heard it, by the way, because it's not in the Bible. See, every single one of us has to take responsibility for our own soul. We can't blame others. We can't piggyback off someone else's. We can't say I was too distracted with my family or, you know, I was investing in that person's life. Because actually our own soul and the healthiness and the, the goodness of our own soul and our relationship with God is down to you and to me. 
it's us. But this world will distract you. You know, even this morning we had distractions. And they're, they're little distractions. You know, you've got kids crying, words not happening. My mind is on yesterday, or my mind is on tomorrow. But there's so much more and bigger things. The world can distract us from our relationship with God. You're thinking about your career. You're thinking about your family, people, holidays. And it's so easy that these things become God rather than God himself. God blesses with those things, but they're not God. Everyone has the potential to drift. Each one of us has the potential to drift. And unless we're working out our relationship with God, we are drifting. We all have the potential to drift, every single one of us. And this is why the writer wants to give us this warning. Be careful. Do not neglect your salvation. You might be thinking, well, how do I care for my soul? But I think we can do a few things. I think we can spend time with God. We can be here together today. This is caring for our soul. This is what we're doing today. You can go walking. You can go reading. You can just be. You can pray for other people. There's so many ways what we can do. But one thing we shouldn't do is drift. See, we live in some of the best beaches in the country, don't we? We have the second biggest, apparently, natural harbour. And I was uh, down at the, uh, the boat show uh, yesterday. But imagine you got back in your little boat. And you had, you had a bit of a motorboat. You got into it. And you're heading away from the Purbex towards Poor Harbour. And you need to find your way along the coastline, around Grouncy Island. The thing is, you need to have your hand on the tiller. Do you know what the tiller is? The thing, the wooden thing you move around to your guidance. See, if you don't have your hand on the tiller, what's going to happen is you're going to drift. And you're not going to make it home to Poor Harbour. You might go out to the channel. Maybe it's France you want to go and see. Or you might get stuck in some rocky, rocky, um, rocky seas. It's so important that we have our hand upon the tiller of our soul. We can't let go. We can't give in. We can't, we can't stop our relationship. We can't take a pause. For us, the writer would say, guide your boat towards the harbour and put the anchor down. And your anchor is Christ. See, in Hebrews 1, the writer is trying to remind us that, uh, in Hebrews 1, the writer tries to remind us that Jesus is God. You know, he's exactly in things. But what in Hebrews 2, he's trying to remind us that Jesus is perfectly human at the same time. See, Jesus is the perfect leader. As we put our anchor down, he is the perfect leader. Today, we have many leaders around us. Leaders at work, leaders in the church, leaders in sports, leaders in parliament, leaders even on the TV. But the problem with most leaders, they're always looking to get to the top. Sometimes in the workplace, they want their own success. They want to become the top dog. In the church, 
They want sometimes, they want to lead for their own success too. In parliament, leaders are trying to gain more control. On TV, they're trying to gain more fame. But what Jesus does over the next set of verses, from verse 10 onwards, he gives us the perfect understanding how Jesus is the perfect leader. And it kicks off in verse 10. It says, verse 10. It says this, For it was fitting that he for whom, by whom all things exist, if bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of our salvation the perfect through suffering. If you read another translation, it will say perfect leader through suffering. Jesus is the perfect leader. He wants to lead you. It goes on to say, now he calls us children of God. He says, he says that we have the same father as Jesus. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. See, as a father to his children, he wants to protect, guide, and he loves us with an everlasting love. See, Jesus describes throughout scripture as the good shepherd, and we are the sheep. He will protect us and guide us. Jesus is the head, the leader of the church. He doesn't lead to have greater power or authority or fame, but he leads for love and eternal love. The next one is that Jesus is a perfect model. He's worth imitating. Growing up, especially when I was a teenager, Everyone looked up to me, just to be honest. But I should clarify this. They didn't look up to me for aspiration or leadership, but they looked up to me because I was taller. But everyone should have someone to look up to. And one of the roles of a parent should be a model. But the problem of our society today, parents are no longer parenting. Parents expect teachers or football coaches or health professionals or even celebrities to teach their children. And it's a primarily the parents' role to love and to nurture and to model a godly life. See, the way we live our lives models to our children, our grandchildren, all the people around us who we're in contact with every day. And Jesus, he is the perfect model. We get such an insight into Jesus' life, especially those three years when he, he started his ministry the way he interacted with people, the way he loved people, the way he forgave people, the way he stepped out in faith, the what he did and how he lived his life. You know, he is the perfect model to imitate. Not anyone that's on TV, not any celebrity, not even anyone in this church, but Jesus is the one we should be imitating. And then in verse 9, it says that he was our sacrifice. But we see him for a little while, while he was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned in his glory and honor, because the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is it. Jesus, it says, tasted death. Have you ever had a bad taste in your mouth? A horrible taste. It consumes your whole being when you've got a bad taste in your mouth. Something sour. Something disgusting. And you can even smell it when you've got it in your mouth. And you want to get it out of your mouth. It's a bad taste. I, wanna, I wonder if I've got a volunteer 
sweet singing, thank you. But I don't know. You're not allergic to anything, are you? Oh. Right. I'm going to give you a few things to taste. Right. Al is going to taste a few things. I forgot my scarf. Has anyone got a scarf on them? Oh, where's that blanket? Got a scarf? You sure? Can, can it go on Al's face? Can you see, Chris? That's good. Right, you've got you've to guess what you're about to taste. Okay, the first one that's up. Listen, Abby. Very nice. I will feed you with spoon. They're all clean spoons, don't worry. Clean spoons that I used yesterday and didn't wash up. You ready? Do you know what that is? Well done, sir. You're good. You're good. Right. Next one. I don't know if you can see it. I can't say out loud because I, I give your mouth. I forgot you can't see. <laughs> Curry paste. You want some more? Mm. <laughs> Do you really? You want some more? Fair play. Um, and lastly, lastly, this is Alfie. This is cannabis. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Coconut. Yes, coconut. Don't even smell it. Anyway, thank you, Al, for doing that. The point of this, a taste can control quite a lot. And at that taste, like the Thai curry, uh, and Jane would experience this for a while when Al Chris was here, but actually it stays in your mouth quite a long time. And it's what the Bible says, that Jesus tasted death. And what do we mean by death? Being away from the Father God. He tasted it. He tasted how, what it's not like to be without God. It was bad, it's really bad. See, drifters, we do not want to taste death. But we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And we want to be tasting God alone. Philippians 2, uh, chapter 4 says this. I'll read it out for us. Philippians 2, chapter 4. Let each one of you look not on, only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on 
him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus sacrificed himself as he emptied himself when he came to this world. And then he died upon the cross and he tasted death itself. He tasted a world where he was without his father. He lived in many ways how itself, where there was just death. He sacrificed, he died. And then it goes on in verse 14, conqueror. He conquered death to give you eternal life. Verse 14 in Hebrews 2, sorry. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Through death he might destroy or conquer the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. See, when Jesus died and resurrected, he broke the power of the devil, who had power over death. Jesus is conqueror over death itself. By dying on that cross, he became the perfect sacrifice to bear the weight of our sin, our mistake, our shame, and our guilt. And now, as followers of Jesus, the Bible says there is no condemnation for any of us who are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned people, but we are free people to be believers. Death is now the doorway to eternal life. And we should never forget that. It's the doorway to eternal life. And then in verse 17, the high priest. Therefore, he had to be made like the brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. In the Old Testament, some many of us will know that the high priest, it was the, he, that person was a mediation between God and the people. It was their responsibility to offer sacrifices once a year for the forgiveness of sin. So if I did something wrong, I would go and tell the high priest and I would bring a goat with me and I would give it to the high priest and the high priest would go in to the inner court uh, of the holies of holies and once a year he would offer that sacrifice that was the animal and as the blood poured out, it would be a sign for that year alone what I've just done. I would be forgiven for my year of sin. But now Jesus is the high priest as the Hebrew writer writes, that he has become the perfect sacrifice, that his blood was poured out, so that now I am forgiven and forgiven completely forever. But this is it, right, as I move on. Imagine one day at home, the doorbell rings, and the queen, yes, Elizabeth, has sent you a personal message by a special messenger. Would you pay attention? If the queen, you had a special message. And then two minutes later, she turns up. There she is on your doorstep. You wouldn't just pay attention, but you would feel that your world has turned upside down. You would cancel your meetings. You would cancel seeing someone else. Because the queen is here. What would happen if you said to her, just a bit too busy today, Elizabeth? We're on first name terms, by the way. Oh, I, I can't be bothered. I'm playing football tonight, Elizabeth. See, the thing is, she might say, okay, see you later then. But the thing is, most of us would never even think about doing that to the Queen. We would get our the nicest China set. I don't have a China set. But we would get the nicest China set out. And we would get some rich tea biscuits. And we would have tea and biscuits with the Queen. And the thing is, the King is actually here. The King of the world. 
He wasn't born to a royal family. He wasn't born into riches. He wasn't born with an army already. He wasn't born even with great power. He didn't have servants. But he was born the son of God. He was born with spiritual riches. And many people did choose to follow him. He did exercise great power to change lives, actually. See, some of us forget the king is actually really here. Forget about the queen coming to dinner. Jesus is here and living in us. You might think, well, I'm just happy with what I do every day and every week. I like to keep with what's expected. I go to church on Sunday to do my five-minute Bible reading in the mornings. It's a done deal. But what about if you're drifting? See, Hebrews 2 is challenging us this. That Jesus is here and he's the perfect human. He's the perfect human. He's the perfect leader. He's the perfect model. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect conqueror. He's the perfect high priest. And he really is here. But then, are you drifting? Are you going to drift away? Or are you going to move closer to God? See, one of the best things in your life you can do is invest in your own soul. It's the best thing you can do. It's better than anything that this world can offer, any earthly relationship, any earthly, um, any earthly gain, is to invest in your soul. And I want to encourage you this week as I end. Ask God, what are you speaking to me about? Because it's all different for each one of us. We all have our own relationship with God. But ask God, what are you speaking to me about? Because I don't want my soul to drift. I think for me as well, in my own life, I'm saying to God, I don't want my soul to drift. Because I think we all can have potential where we're drifting. I want to be hold on to that tiller. I want to... I want to I want to make sure that I'm not just drifting in life and I just do the same things every day, every week. I just push out the same thing. But I want to say to God, what are you saying to me? What do I need to change in my life, the path or the direction? Sometimes that might be God saying, you need to go more walking, Tim, with me. You need to spend more time in the Bible. You need to pray for more people, Tim. It's different times and different stages of life. But we need to have our hand on the tiller because if we do not have our hand on the tiller, we are forsaking our salvation. And that's what the writer's saying. And it's serious. This is eternal life. This is your life. And you can never say, well, my, you know, Becky didn't help me on that one, God. It was her fault. Get to heaven. I'm in front of the uh, judgment seat. It was her fault, God. You know, I had two boys. Two boys. They're screaming their heads off now. They're running around like anything. They wake up at a ridiculous hour. It's their fault, God. I can't do that. You can't do that. Because God is like, well, it's you, Tim. Yes, I have responsibility over my family. But my first responsibility is to God himself. Isn't that true? I want to pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. I want to thank you that your, your mercy and your grace is so uh, there for each one of us. And Lord, you know that each one of us in this room are at different uh, ways of life, different stages, different seasons in life. 
But I pray that none of us would drift. That we would take our faith seriously. That it wouldn't be just there. But we would know that the King is here. Truly, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is here. Father, I pray this week that you would impress it on each one of our hearts. That we should ask you, what are you saying to me in this stage of my life and what I should do? That I won't drift. That I won't neglect my salvation. But at the end of days, that I would get those words, good and faithful servant. Whenever that may be. Thank you, Jesus, that your arms are just so open and loving. And you're always calling us home, back to the Father. Thank you, Jesus.